0: Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. This episode is brought to you by Shutterstock.com. Find over 20 million stock photos, vectors, illustrations, and video clips. For 30% off your new account, go to Shutterstock.com and use the offer code TWIP9. This episode of TWiP is brought to you by Carbonite Online Backup. Whether you have one computer at home or several at your small business, Carbonite backs up your files automatically and continually. Carbonite is the better backup plan. Try it free at Carbonite.com. Use the offer code TWiP and get two bonus months with purchase. This week on TWiP. Apple releases the iPhone 5. Nokia fakes some new technology. A roundtable discussion about photography plugins. And an interview with Adobe's Brian O'Neill Hughes. It's Wednesday, September 12th, 2012. And this is Twin. And welcome back to TWiT. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Today on the show, we're going to be diving into Apple a little bit. They announced a brand new iPhone, a version 5, which I know some of the people on the show probably have already have their orders in. Nokia got caught with their pants down faking some new technology, so we're going to talk about that a little bit. And we're going to talk about plugins in general where they were the world of plugins before now and what they might be evolving into we've got the perfect people on the show to talk about that plus speaking of plugins and software that accepts plugins there's an interview with adobe's uh, photoshop and bridge product manager brian o'neill hughes good friend of mine he's on to talk about specifically why you as a photographer need cs6 and what it can do for you it's not a sales thing i, spe- I just asked him some very pointed questions you know i'm on an older or i was in an older version of photoshop and i'm like dude why why do i need cs6 i'm getting along just fine without it so he answered those questions so joining me to discuss those topics and more are Brian. Ma- Brian, how do you pronounce your last name? I always get tripped up on your last name. How do you pronounce uh, it?
1: It's a lot of people. It's just Matias.
0: Matias. Brian yeah. Matias from On One Software is stepping in the ring. Nicole Young is here. And Mr. Rick Salmon, of course, the godfather of soul. <laughs> <laughs> the godfather of pixels is in the house to talk just about. What- just wait till you're my age, okay? Just wait. <laughs> hey, I cannot wait. If I look half as good as you look right now when I'm your age, I'll be I'll be styling. Thank All you. Right, guys, we got lots of stuff to talk about. Before we do that, Rick, you have not been on the show in forever, and our little bird told me that you were you were heading or you've been to Iceland or you going to Iceland. What's going on with Iceland? Yeah, Iceland's amazing. Like
2: everyone's going there. There's so many workshops. Actually, do you know Tony Sweet? No, I don't. Oh, he's a photographer, a very famous photographer. And he's, I'm driving around Iceland, and I bump into Tony Sweet. Uh, JP, John Paul does workshops there, yeah. uh, Seth Resnick. So this is an amazing place. I went there. I didn't see any ice. But we went to, to see, like, the waterfalls and some of the spectacular sceneries. Next year, I'm doing another workshop there where we're going to see uh, the ice. We're going to a different part of the country. But, you know, from New York, it's only, like, five hours away. And I would definitely recommend, if you want a, a different adventure, if you're into landscape photography, this is a must, for sure.
0: Yeah, it's cool. I, I definitely want to get up there. A, a friend of mine and a friend of TWIP, Rebecca Gudlifstadter, she's a, a photographer who lives in Iceland. And she does a lot of work on Flickr and Gallery showings and all that stuff. She does a lot of um, multiple exposure self-portraiture. So um, yeah, and she lives there. That's where I was fr- first kind of exposed to the beauty of Iceland outside of movies like Lord of the Rings and all that. So I've seen
2: those pictures. The one you said self-portraits, they're amazing. She's amazing, isn't it?
0: She's just. I yes. mean, it's insane. Yes. You know, I did an interview with her. It's on. It's on the in the archives. And I asked her. You know, you must be using like crazy Mac Pros and all this stuff. She's on a. Old 15-inch MacBook, and she does all her retouching and manipulation with the trackpad. She didn't even have a tablet or anything. She just knows what she's doing. So, Mm. good place. But got a lot of good subject matter out there in Iceland. Nicole Young is... Nicole S. Young. Sorry, Nicole. Is also (laughs) on the show. Nicole, what's going on in your neck of the woods?
3: Well, um, I am writing a book what's new, right? I'm feeling like yeah, I know. something. Do you need
0: an intervention. What's going on here? <laughs>
3: I probably should just <laughs> for my sanity. No. Nicole, um, your, well,
0: your behavior has affected me in the following ways.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I just came off of writing and finishing up the uh, the ebook with Crafted Vision called yep. Finding Focus and I kind of rolled right into doing a print book with Peachpit. Um, it's called Plug in with OnOne software. So it's all about it's nobody's ever written a book on on one software before so it's going to be the only one out there and it's um, on the new um, perfect Photo Suite 7, which I think we're going to talk about a little bit later on yep. So it's, I'm really excited about it. I've, I've been learning the software you know I, I knew the software before, but it's you know when you write about something, you like dig into all the little crevices of it and find out everything about it and I'm actually getting really excited about the software even more so because I know so much more about it now
0: yeah I want to talk about that a little bit later um, and you're also heading off to Cambodia with our third guest mm-hmm. Brian right so what, <laughs> yes. what what what's the deal what's in Cambodia what are you going there for
3: Cambodia is just it's just a new place for both Brian and I just for the audience so they are aware we're dating. And we've been getting- <gasps> oh, of-
0: wow, you guys are coming out of the closet on I Twip. No, it's, it's been kind of public <laughs> I know, now
3: for a I while. Know. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> we, you know, Brian, I don't think, has ever been out to any- anywhere in Asia. And I was just in Vietnam, and we have a friend, another friend of ours, a couple of other friends of ours are um, traveling with us. We have a good size, you know, smallish group of photographers that are going to be running around. And it's um, we have somewhat of an agenda, but not like a, a crazy agenda. But we're really just going to be trying to be, you know, create beautiful photos. And-, and
0: how did how did you decide on Cambodia? Was it just like you guys threw a dart in a map or something? Or how did you pick? It was our
3: friend's idea. It, it, honestly, if, we, if if anyone out, I'm sure everybody has come across this conundrum. And Rick, you probably have too. And I'm sure, you, but you get to go everywhere, so it's not as tough for you. <laughs> when you're trying to find a place to go, you have to balance so many things. You know, you have to find a place. First of all, that you can afford, and you know that's not going to take two days to travel there, or, or you know that um, that is actually going to be beautiful enough for you to go, or the time of the year you, you have to make sure that it's going to be a good time of year to travel, but not so you know not so expensive that's tour season, but not so inexpensive that it's the worst time of the year to go, and and then you just for me I just have all of these things that I get so flustered that I just like I don't want to think about this right now, and so that happens to me over and over and over. And so finally, our friend Jeff was like. What about Cambodia? And he, he like knows people who live there, and uh, he's been there before. So we're like, okay, let's do it.
0: <laughs> I love that. I love that. People people that are tied to their like nine to five day jobs and just sort of can't do that thing and dream of like living vicariously through you guys are like. I hate both of you. Right <laughs> <laughs> I'm not talking about me. I'm just <laughs> every
3: month. You know, I don't, I don't do big trips every month. We're only taking a couple weeks. So. I don't
0: know, Nicole. Every time I talk to you, you're coming back or going somewhere. <laughs> you're like, oh, New York and this. You're all, You're always traveling. I love it. And Brian, Matias. How do you? So what are you up to? No, and- Matias. Oh, my God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep butchering that through the entire <laughs> you show. Know, you're spelling a- it wrong. Matias. Okay, it's, I got it. It's it actually it's-
3: pronounced Matias. See, now you're going to screw me <laughs> That's has <laughs>
0: three pronunciations. Say it again, Brian.
1: Matias. Matias.
0: Got it. Matias. Okay. Matias. Matias. I got it. Okay. So you are joining us for the very first time. Thank you so much for coming on this week in photo. Thanks for having. All right. And you are just so folks know who, who haven't heard the name Matias before. You are the guy that is kind of the forward facing um face of On1 software, right? So you're doing all their webinars, you you know, I've heard your voice a million times on videos, all this stuff, right?
1: Yep. I uh, I guess the, my official title is curriculum and education manager, but, um, you know, On1's a small enough company where titles are, are really uh, irrelevant. And so it was, yeah, it was a very um, uh, intentional thing to have me uh, as the kind of like the public face of the company um, because... I already had such strong ties with social media with photographers, so um, it just worked out well. Um, But yeah, I do all of our content, all of our everything, you know, imagery, um, videos, um, social media, that kind of stuff.
0: I love it. That sounds like a dream job. So, so one of the one of the things you're going to be talking about is the perfect photo suite, right? What's What's up with that? So that's yeah,
1: it it just you know. we announced uh, last week at Photoshop World in Vegas, we announced the next major uh, iteration of uh, the Perfect Photo Suite. And so we may, you know, and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about this later, but um, we've been working ridiculously hard um, when we built Suite 7 um, in terms of uh, listening to um, our our customer base and, and really listening, not just like, you know, I, I, I can say, you know, truthfully that, um, you know, it's like companies say, oh, we, we heard you and we really, like, yeah. solicited and actually, you know, notably made changes that people were hoping for. So um, we're really excited about it. Cool.
0: All right. Well, we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Like I said in the beginning there, we're going to do a kind of a, a deep dive into the world of plugins. And I'm thankful that both of you guys and Rick as well, because I know you have extensive plugins and or extensive experience in using plugins in your work, so I want to just sort of get get our our collective brains, the TWIP listeners and me, around the world of plugins, why they should be using them, should they be using them, where are they are now, where they're going. What's up with Perfect Photo Suite? You know, one of my favorite plugins is Focal Point. So I'm hoping to moonwalk away with a tip or two from (laughs) from (laughs) from from, uh, Focal Point. I love that. So we're gonna talk about all that stuff before we get started. I want to let the listeners know about Brooks. So. Brooks Institute of Photography has a workshop arm called Brooks Workshops, and they're hosting two weekend workshops in October. They're both located at on the Brooks campus in Santa Barbara, and the ones in October are going to be taught by... Helene Glassman, who's a Brooks graduate, and Jim DiVitale. So, I think Jim's workshop is going to be on exploring Photoshop, and his is running on October 13th and 14th. And they've opened it to all skill levels, and it's designed to give kind of a basic overall understanding of Photoshop editing as well as some, you know, advanced ninja techniques in Photoshop. So, two days of kind of immersive Photoshop. And then coming up on the 20th and 21st, first of October, the um, Helene Glassman's workshop is combining photography and design, and she's going to be talking about how photographers can take an idea or a specific inspiration, execute on it or photograph it, and then complete do all the complete post production to produce an image that's ready to be printed and or displayed somewhere. So she's going to be focusing on basically tran- doing the transformation from photos into beautiful images or ideas into beautiful images so uh, definitely check that out Um, they're at workshops.brooks.edu and they've given us two coupon codes to to i think they're knocking like 30 percent off or some crazy percentage off for twip only um the coupon code we'll put both of these in the show notes but the the first one is I don't even know if someone. I don't even want to read these. They're just complicated coupon <laughs> codes. I don't know where they generated these from, but they're they're they work. Obviously, they're very secure. They're like military grade encrypted coupon codes. <laughs> so just go to the uh, blog post for this episode, and we'll we'll throw them in there for you. All right, guys. I want to move on to the news. So there's a. A whole lot of interesting things to talk about this week. The first thing is today, you know, just a couple of hours ago, Apple announced the much anticipated iPhone five, along with uh, with a couple of other things. So, um, do all you guys use iPhones, or, or do we have yes, an- no,
1: no, no? no? As of Like as okay. of like uh, less than two months ago, I, I made the switch to Android. Oh, awesome, perfect. What about you, Rick? Are you Android <laughs> or iPhone? Definitely iPhone. I mean. Could not live without it. Nicole, what about you?
3: I'm still iPhone.
0: Still. Definitely. See, you hear that? You them. hear the gravity of Brian, I like, drawing that. Nicole <laughs> to the Android <laughs> <not listening>. universe? <laughs> <laughs> she's like, I'm still iPhone, meaning that she's going to be switching soon. No, 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 <laughs>
1: no. We've had discussions. <laughs>
0: <He's> <laughs> I'm going right. to watch over. this. Nicole, in, like, three shows, if you're on Android, I'm going to be like,
1: come on. No, don't <laughs> worry.
3: No, I'm I'm going to be buying the new iPhone 5. Uh, you I, are? I, I what do you like about it? The interface is nice. I have a Nexus 7, but... You know It's like why, why why fix it If it's not broken That's kind of how I see it Yeah
0: So quickly The specs um, This top line specs On the new iPhone 5 This is bigger uh, It's got a 4 inch 16 by 9 aspect ratio Screen Which You know Essentially means You'll get another row of apps In there um, It's 18% thinner And 20% lighter Than the iPhone 4S Which I'm holding In my hand right now It's not all that heavy So um, so it's 20% lighter than that. Um, it's got a new dot connector that they're calling Lightning, which is smaller and thinner. And the thing that we care about for this particular show is the camera. It's, it's got the same 8 8-megapixel eight camera in it, but it's 25% smaller, or I guess... Thinner than you know because it has because the whole device is thinner. So the the reach from the beginning of the camera to the end with those five elements is twenty five percent less space in there. It's got a dynamic low light mode that combines pixels for two stops greater low light performance. They're saying so. I'm going to talk about that a little bit. It's got a new sensor, so it's supposed to be better in low light and forty percent faster capture. And it's got this new thing called panorama mode. Phil Schiller on the stage showed a 28 megapixel shop and the cool thing about the panorama mode at least for me that i saw is and i think i think other cameras do this already but apple's put in the iphone where you can you can sweep um from left to right of a scene and it'll automatically stitch it so you don't have to take like five pictures and then say stitch um so a bunch of other things in there noise reduction faster capture all that and lte networking so fast 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 internet so nicole of all that stuff that I just mentioned, other than just being a geek fangirl, why what do, what do you, why do you want to get the iPhone? I fangirl.
3: <laughs> I like it, you know?
0: Why do okay. you... Want, why, you haven't even touched it yet. Why have you made the commitment to buy the iPhone 5?
3: Well, I didn't do the upgrade from the 4 to the 4S, so I'm working off of a, a 4. Okay. Um, but honestly, one of my biggest reasons for getting... I guess one of my biggest um, excuses for getting the iPhone 5 is... Is because my contract is up with AT and T, and I can switch to Verizon. Oh, <laughs> so I'm Sprint
0: now, right?
3: T- or whatever the yeah. better one, <laughs> the one that I'm going <laughs> <the laughs> to
0: anybody Anybody is- but AT and T. Yeah,
3: well, you know, because I I do enough kind of. Is traveling and maybe getting driving with my car out far enough. Like uh, Brian and I were in Nebraska in July and I think we got to places where there was zero connection and it wasn't like we were in the middle of nowhere. We were just in a small town somewhere when we were driving around and I lose, you know, I lost signal at time and little things like that I, I, in, in Seattle. I don't and every once in a while. I just get, you know, no signal spots here and there. So it's kind of my excuse to do an upgrade, but I am looking forward to the, the taller screen having one extra row um, Siri, I don't have Siri on my phone. Oh yeah, I guess you know the, the thing is though, and I think you know because Brian and I have had this, these conversations because he just went to Android and I'm i gonna stay with the iPhone. I, I I like my iPhone and I use my iPhone and it's more of a camera to me, but I don't use my iPhone as much as I as much as some people use them, you know, like I turn off a lot of the notifications on it because I don't like the distraction. I want to check it when I want to check it. I don't like having things yell at me, Hey, look at what's happening on your phone right now. So my my phone, I try to keep it tucked away as much as possible. I take it out to do a lot of pictures and, you know, iStock actually now is taking mobile images. So, you know, that's, you know, better cameras is is even better for me because I'm going to have better quality and all these things. So it's, you know, that's my advantage to upgrade for those kinds of reasons. Um, I mean, with, if I stayed with my four, my iPhone four, I'd be fine. You know, yeah. I wouldn't. It yeah, just, you're.
0: I mean, you're doing the smart thing. I mean, the dumb thing is what I do. I go from iPhone four to iPhone 4S to iPhone five. <laughs> you're, <laughs> leapfrogging a release, so that's that's the the smart thing. So, what about you, Rick? Are you so your iPhone right? What are you? Are you? Uh, are you going to make that jump or what? <clears throat> well,
2: no, and I'll tell you why. Are you familiar with the iPro lens system from Schneider? The iPhone lens system from Schneider it comes with the case that fits the phone, right so with the, if the new phone's smaller and lighter, it's, the case isn't going to fit so anyway, this is an incredible system. Actually, I, I might change this to be my uh, product pick, but anyway, it comes with a case, it comes with the wide angle lens, it comes with a fisheye lens it's a little under two hundred bucks, but it's amazing. These lenses are really sharp, so I you know just got this, so i'm going to wait a little while. plus my phone, even though I dropped it once or twice it's it still works. however. The phone is not good my phone is not good in low light you definitely get a lot of noise so this dynamic low light mode plus two stops that sounds incredible i can't wait to see that and the noise reduction with smart filters also sounds uh, awesome and the, i guess faster capture is cool yeah. but uh, you know I'm, I'm happy with the pictures that i'm uh, getting now but you know i just use it as a backup but i want to say i'm with nicole you know, I hate it when I'm like with somebody and that that noise goes off on the phone. You know, they got a message, they got a text, they got this, they got mm-hmm. that, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: I know. It's becoming the new annoyance for, for the 20th century. Now, now, Brian, what about you? So you're, you're Android for, first of all, you know, not that everyone needs to be on iPhone. Who cares, right? Sure. Who cares what device you use? But I'm curious as to why you did you move from iPhone to oh, I, to yeah. Android,
1: or were you always Android? No, no, no. I was uh, iPhone up until about two months ago. And why did you switch? Um, so you know, I on one is one on one is is Mac, and two, it's pretty much iPhone. We uh, we we develop for for uh, the iOS, um, and so. I got a lot of flack for it when I decided to switch. But the reason why was – and, you know, you're all artists, so you probably will, will can relate. Um, I use, unlike Nicole, I use my phone a lot. Um, it's really – it's an integral device for me. Um, and it um, – I, I like to get – I like to be inspired um, as often as possible. Mm-hmm. And it sounds kind of – maybe it sounds kind of hokey, but um, – my phone – after using this iPhone for uh, – since I had the – I started with the 3G. I skipped yep. the first iPhone um, yep. because it was still uh, on um, Edge. Um, so I waited till the 3G, and I had 3G, I had 3GS, I had the 4, and I was like Nicole. I was – I had the 4, I skipped the 4S, yep. and I was going to go with the 5. Now, because I'm a developer or on uh, one's considered an Apple developer, I had iOS 6 uh, from the beginning, from the first beta. And when I saw what they considered to be this a major iteration, you know, trust me, I know from software, calling something from iOS 5 to iOS 6, you, you really want to have some good stuff there. Um, and I saw nothing. I, I saw absolutely nothing compelling. And it got me so frustrated because I was so bored with – that's basically what it is, Frederick. I was bored to death um, with, the, with the operating system. It's yeah. confining. It's stifling. Um, like, like, and <clears throat> confining in what way, like what, what things do you
0: find missing in iOS that you are like, Oh, I'm so glad I have this Android device. Cause I can
1: do X. Yeah. It's mostly, it's the, the ability to customize my desktop with various widgets. Yeah. Um, so I have, you know, at a glance information, you know, I have uh, in one window, I have an aggregate feed of my Twitter, Facebook, and Google plus in one nice window. Um, and then I have uh, another little widget with um, the time and the weather. Another widget for my um, uh, for the uh, like uh, if I want a specific inbox for my calendar. And um, and so th- things like okay, it's pretty funny. They say an extra row, an extra row of apps. Just yesterday, I'm like, you know what? My desktop on my Android is kind of is kind of tight. I'm l- losing space, and I don't want to have five different windows to scroll. So you know what I did? I, I installed for free uh, an alternate launcher, fully supported. It's called Nova Launcher. It allows me to have uh, eight rows, eight, uh, eight rows by seven columns um, of icons. So that's just heresy. That's it, heresy. It, it, you know, it's like little <laughs> things like that. Oh, uh, the ability to to customize sounds for every single app, and uh, little things like you know uh, that that I found to be very very. Um, either impossible or convoluted with Apple. And I, look, yeah, yeah one, it,
0: seems, it seems like like the way just over the years, how I I kind of see the split between the iOS user and the Android user um, is that the on the Android side, they're like you, they like they want to tweak stuff, they want full power to customize yes. it. It's a computer. They treat it like a computer, right? right? On my computer, I can change my desktop, I can change my icon size, I can do whatever I want, right? Um, but on the iOS side, it's almost – it's kind of like communism versus capitalism. Oh, so right. Right? It's, <laughs> it's like it, it on the really... iOS side, we're just like – we're just happy to get what we get and we're happy when we get we get a new loaf of bread. You know? Right.
1: But don't <laughs> – okay. I'll tell you specifically what sold me. I, I'll never forget it because, it, again, it comes down to the artist side of me. Um, we were at the Google Plus conference in San Fran uh, back in, what, May? Mm-hmm. And obviously, most of the people there are, are, are Google people and, and Google employees. So I was sitting there with Brian Rose at dinner, and he uh, shows me – was Brian or it was Mike Wycheck. Someone had the Galaxy Nexus, which is what I have now, the, the Google Galaxy Nexus, not the unlocked one. Mm-hmm. Um, and he shows it to me. And so I, I, he has an, one of his images as the background. And I go and I swipe to another window. Just like you know how we would on Apple? Yeah, yeah. And the image actually pans. So the image is wider than one window. So when you swipe to the right, the image pans to the left. Mm. And you get this really cool – like the the image is fluid. And to me, I saw that. I'm like, whoa, that is just so slick. Um, When you hit the standby button to put the phone in standby, it it doesn't just turn off. It it, it, closes – like an old TV screen, you know how it would come to the center – like it would just kind of like shrink into the center, yeah, to a little dot, yeah, exactly. That's what the, those are the things, Frederick, that I'm talking about that um, get me going. Just
0: a little fit and finish things beyond the Apple aesthetic, right? Yes. Yeah.
1: Now, iOS, you can't, you can't knock it. I mean, the sheer number of apps um, is unreal. Yeah, and yeah, uh,
0: I mean, the, see, for me on the iOS side, all that stuff is cool, and I. I truly envy all that um but for me i just use it you know it it, it need, like i don't i don't have that all that many apps installed on my phone and it you know honestly it barely my phone is barely able to make a call from time, to time. <laughs> but you know i have a couple things that i do the most honestly the the most that i use my phone for is a remote for my apple tv so right. going, i'm in remote mode i'm like going through netflix and all that that's right. i'm usually using my phone for that or text messaging and maybe some angry birds every now
1: and then. (laughs) You know, know, I will tell you that um, being on both sides, the camera experience, since we are talking about it, um, on the iPhone, at least with my phone, the iPhone crushes it. Even the iPhone 4, which has the same megapixel count as this Galaxy Nexus, the quality of the images was unparalleled. Hmm. Um, So there is that. I'm not going to make... I'm fair, and I'll say Apple... You know the the photo editing apps that Apple has, like the slow slow shutter cam. If you don't have that app, you have to get it. Ooh, it's like one of cam. my favorite slow shutter cam. It takes two two shots very quickly and it merges them together to simulate motion.
0: Oh, cool! All right, we'll have to I'll have to check that out. That sounds like another. We'll talk about that in the plugin in the computational area of this this podcast. Sure. Uh, um, okay, so the jury's out. Rick's not getting it. Nicole's getting it, and nope. I'm probably going to get it. So. On the iPhone 5. Very interesting. I would anticipate the listeners to just, you know, go over to Apple's website, apple.com, and you'll see a gigantic image of an iPhone 5 there. Just click on it and watch the video, and you'll know everything we know about it. So, very cool. All right, story number two is not so happy. Story number two is about Nokia. <laughs> <laughs> Our friends over at Nokia, which, you know, I want to say the embattled Nokia, who's You know, over the past five years or so has had their lunch kind of handed to them by Google and Apple. Um, But they uh, were demoing some new technology, some image stabilization technology in their new Lumia 920 smartphone. And the video, did you guys watch the video? The video looked amazing. Basically, it's like this... Girls on a bike and guys on another bike next to her shooting video of her. Normally, that'd be jittering all over the place. But this looked like it was on a, on rails. It was just beautiful. But the issue came up with somebody exposed it as a fake. The whole thing was shot with red cameras.
3: <laughs> and <laughs> oh
0: my gosh. and, and they, Nokia, during the video, they were like, yeah, this is without this is without pure view and then they showed a shaky one and it was like this is with pure view and then they showed the red footage you know so the the YouTube, if you don't do anything else go read the youtube comments on the nokia video because they left it up there they can't take it down right so they left it up people are just flaming them so i wanted to talk about it here a little bit from not so much from the let's flame and jump on nokia bandwagon but just from the the standpoint of. Like, this kind of thing, is it even possible, Rick, is it, is it even possible to get this level of image stabilization from something as low-powered as a smartphone?
2: I don't know. And maybe not today, but I'm sure in the future... Uh, but yeah, you know, I know what I know what goes into the Canon system. You know, it's uh, I don't know how they could possibly fit this into a little <laughs> phone. Uh, yeah. But you know, this is a problem with phones. You know, I have so many pictures taken of me with my iPhone. You know, if I'm going around speaking or whatever, just had a nice shot of me taken. It. It's out of focus. You know. But you know what? I'll I'll, I'll say this about out-of-focus pictures to those listeners out there who've taken out-of-focus and jittery pictures. Don't delete them. And here's why. Because one out-of-focus picture is a mistake, and 20 out-of-focus pictures is a style. (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh is it <laughs> it's true so don't delete that's big- a quote 21 is a mistake 20
2: is a style is a style but yeah i'm looking at the site right now and i just can't believe that they uh, that they did this i mean especially today you know i write something on the web if i make one tiny mistake you know by accident you know a thousand people you know are there to point it out which is actually good and in, and in, uh, in some respects yeah so i
0: just can't believe that they did this I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Brian, Brian, what about you? I mean, is it – is this what, – what do you think about this whole story overall? Is, and is this – does Nokia have to make this work now that they kind of put their foot in their mouth?
1: Well, you know, it's, uh, it's <laughs> unfortunate. And uh, I, I could – I can definitely um, sympathize. I can't empathize. But, um, you know, I know for us, like, if we ever take an image from a partner – We are very, like, we we don't just take, like, we'll accept images from partners, but we have to be absolutely sure that it, like, um, that was processed using our software and our software only because Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff is very, very important. Now, uh, it is, I always want to, for me, I want to be the fly in the wall uh, at the, because obviously this video was edited. Someone composed this video and (laughs) said, you know what? Let's use the red footage because it's so much. better. <laughs> no, who's gonna know? Who's gonna know? Yeah, for who? who it's it, it's genius. Um, <laughs> I wanted to be the fly on the wall there because. Um, Can you imagine, like, like the the
0: CEO calls of, like his all his uh, VPs in the room, senior VP staff, and they're like, they play the video and they're like, okay, who did this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want yeah. a name right now. Who did it?
1: Oh, someone's. Some that hammer is going to fall on someone. Yeah, uh, that no. is um, sad.
0: Hey, uh, Nicole, what about you? I mean, if you were, if you were that CEO, you're in that that boardroom at Nokia. What's your next move after this is on YouTube and all those comments are calling you guys out? What would you do?
3: Oh man, I don't know. That's they're, they're Go they're, cry. They're, go go better, to the executive yeah, we'll washroom. The it better. It better be good. You know because. Percival. I know because if it comes
0: out now and it sucks, yeah. and it,
3: uh, <laughs> Well, yeah. Frederick, let me ask listening, you. Listening, you have to watch this because like, you wa- like this is how it went for me. You know, I okay, I'm reading the show notes and I'm like, I want to check what's this fake video. Let me let me check it, te- you know, check it out. And then I see, you you kind of see the video and then you, you know, I watch the whole thing and I, I just was like, oh okay, okay, yeah, I guess they could have faked it. And then I see a little screenshot that shows the guy in a Van, you know, <laughs> that it's kind of fuzzy and you're like, huh. So then I rewatched it, and I was like, oh, my gosh, there's the van. You can see it in the reflection. And – I mean, the fact that you have to take out a loan. Most people, I should say, would have to take out a loan to get a red camera. The least they could have done was use a Canon Rebel or something. You something. Know? Yeah. Well, That's they, a good they did point. Right. I like that.
1: You
0: know, I yeah. mean, if you're going to cheat, you might as well cheat right, you know? come on. <laughs>
3: the bottom line, though, is in, in these days, especially, uh, because everyone is so transparent. We try to be transparent online. We have to be very authentic. If we want people to take us seriously and actually listen to us and want to maybe, you know, buy our books or our videos or go to our workshops. We have to be who we say we are. And if we are not, then people see right through it. And they're like, well, you're fake. I don't want to have anything to do with that. Exactly. So this is just, you know, maybe 10 years ago, if, you know, maybe it wouldn't have been, you know, it'd be like, oh, okay, whatever. No one may
0: have known because they're like, oh, I don't know. You know, it looks, looks real to me. You know, it
3: has, to be, it has to be what it says it is because people are going to buy that based on that videos. So and then they buy it and they're like, well, this is crap. You know, and then they contact customer service and, of course, no, you know, you're not doing it right or whatever, you know. They, <laughs> so. well,
1: here's, here's what always interests me in these situations. I want to get – I would love to get your opinion really quickly. What – What? okay. Obviously, Nokia's. they have their mea culpa. They screwed up. What would you – how would you – um, be like, you know what? Okay, cool. Like, how would you forgive them? What would they have to do for you to forgive them? Um,
0: uh, come through on this technology and make make PureView look at least as good as it looked in that video, but with a smartphone. That's it.
3: You should reshoot the video. Yeah, and
0: that. reshoot it and say, okay, folks, hey, we did... Okay, we screwed up. We did this with a red, but only because we knew... The 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 technology wasn't ready yet, and ours blows the red out of the water with the with the gyroscope on it. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah, <laughs> that, well, that fifty thousand dollar rig over there. This little camera will blow it out of the water. We knew that. That's why we did that. And here's the video to prove it. That's the only way they can do it. Because if they come out with something that is that's not as good as what was in that video, then you know, it, oh, then the credibility's
1: bad. gone. You know. Well, poor Nokia, because like, I shouldn't say poor Nokia, but like here they are they they're like putting all the chips in with this the new windows uh, mobile pl- platform and and you know they they've been kind of floundering compared to samsung and apple and motorola Right. even right. motorola's coming out you know pu- you know fighting so uh.
0: yeah yeah i mean yeah yeah i think it is poor nokia i mean they were they were at the top of the hill it's just not too not too <laughs> yeah. long ago are oh, you remember remember when the first matrix movie came out and, and yeah. Oh, yeah. they had those like like Nokia phones that would, like, you hit a button and it would open up, and everybody wanted that phone, which never came to market in the US. Nope. <laughs> you know? No, it didn't. <laughs> so maybe they should have brought it to market. I don't know. Interesting story. We'll keep an eye on it. We'll indefinitely keep an eye on PureView and the Lumia 920 smartphone to see what it does and if it can actually come through on this technology. Interesting stuff. All right. This uh, round table discussion, guys, that I wanted to jump into is about plugins which you folks know a little bit about. You I don't know, Nicole and Brian, I don't know if you guys are old enough to remember Kai's power tools. Oh, I remember. <laughs> so, I remember that and yeah, Bryce, Bryce yeah, 3D. Yeah, you remember that? I mean, yep. remember those keynotes that I think even at MacWorlds or something uh, Kai Kraus used to come on stage I think um, if I'm not mistaken He used to come on stage and demo Bryce and like hey look at this cool Thing that's coming out and it's uh, the Computational blah 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 And it's magic and we're intersecting Magic with mathematics and You know and look at what came up with And that was then and like I remember buying that software and Playing with it and making worlds and Bryce And like hey look at this and then I was like Okay, now I have a world. Now, (laughs) what do do I do with this world that I just made? So, but they had there was all kinds of stuff out there. There was Bryce, and then there was Poser. You could build people and put them in your Bryce world. You know all these different things, and then the power tools were like you could build generate all these intricate patterns and clouds and all this magic stuff. So that that was where I was introduced to plugins. So a lot of them were like you know because of those. A lot of people got the impression that, you know, plugins, you know, they're going to generate sort of cheesy effects. It's not really, you know, good stuff. If you're a real artist, if you really, if you know, if you have Photoshop chops, then you can generate anything with your two hands in raw Photoshop that a plug-in can do. So, Brian, I want to throw this to you first. I'm going to put you on the hot seat. Sure. So, to people that make that statement, they're like, you know what? On one software, whatever, anything that that software can do, I can do it myself. All mm-hmm. I need is Photoshop CS2, and I can <laughs> I can mm-hmm. do it with layers and channels.
1: You know, what do you say to that? Well, I mean, uh, depending on what. You can't. You can depending on what we're talking about. You can if you're looking to, you know, for instance, enlarge uh, an image using a fractals algorithm. Right. Uh, you, you can't because we own the patented technology and we'll sue you. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but no. It, it, look, um, the way that I, the way that I rationalize it is, um, it's not so much anymore about um, being able to use Photoshop and you know, artists. Right now, it, it's all about one achieving a certain look. Um, if you're, and if you're a wedding photographer or a portrait photographer, you really, you don't have the luxury of time to, to work on one image at a time. So you're looking for something that can um, achieve a consistent look quickly in a batch. Um, and so that's, that's kind of one of the, the angles there. Um, but in actuality, and we can talk about it, like one of the things we're trying to distinguish ourselves at On1 is we're no longer a plug-in company. Mm. Um, because plugin connotates that you're you're connect you're you're required to connect through a host, right? Um, right. And and you're, wa- you're a, are you
0: what do you say you're a software company?
1: Well, we are. So we've always been a software company, but we have up until Suite Six, the last generation, we were a plugin company. Uh, two of the products absolutely required um, Photoshop. And then the others, um, you know, you need to access, you you, you could access through Photoshop, but now we were very conscientious to build 100% standalone products. You could still access through Photoshop, Lightroom, and Aperture, but if you don't want any of that stuff, or you, you don't have it, you can't afford it. Um, it is a, an application just like Microsoft Word is an application.
0: You can run you can it standalone.
1: Yep, absolutely. You, now,
0: do, now, do you run it standalone and say you're using Aperture, you can use it as a helper app or an external app and invoke it from within the yes. app instead of running it as a plug to that app?
1: Well, you could, you could um, from within Aperture or Lightroom, you can just uh, send it from that host, from that library to the suite or to an individual uh, module of the suite. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, or you can export it out. You know, like you would export out to JPEG or TIFF or, or a raw file, yeah. and then open it up in in the suite itself.
0: And have it just be standalone. Yeah. Now, Rick, Rick Salmon, like, how do you would how do you integrate plugins into your overall workflow? Because you have you have a distinguished style or unmistakable style. Like, how did you come up with that, and what's the what's your secret formula? What's the the kernel secret formula? click. That's
2: it. <laughs> I select their plug-in and I click.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. That's yeah, what the Colonel's bro-
2: formula? What, 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 what Brian said is true. You know, there's some things like the skin softener and this stuff that if you had the time, if you had like a half hour, you might be able to create that in uh, Photoshop if you knew what you were doing with, like you said, Frederick, you know, the channels and blending modes and all that stuff. But the uh, plugins are a fantastic time saver if you want to enhance a straight shot. But, you know, John Lennon said, Reality leaves a lot to the imagination. One of my favorite quotes. And I think, you know, we can change reality by using these plugins. Uh, actually, on October 21st here in New York City, I'm doing uh, something at Coney Island. It's called Coney Island Creative. And the idea is to photograph down there and then use plugins to take the reality out of the scene. Because when we remove the color from the scene, when we add some grain, when we add some texture, we add some overlays, when we remove that reality, <clears throat> our picture can look more creative and more artistic. So the idea is to go down there and use plugins again to create these uh, artistic images. But it's funny. I think these are so-called artistic images whether they're blur or vignette or patterns over them or grain or sepia tone people are getting used to these pictures and sometimes when you put like a straight shot next to these shots the straight shots you know don't look as cool for lack of a better term than these other shots like we were out in um and I was doing a workshop out in uh, actually it was called in the footsteps of Ansel Adams we were out in um in Yosemite uh, some people say Yosemite, uh, Mono Lake, uh, yeah. Alabama Hills, and my wife Susan's walking around with her iPhone, using using these apps, using Snapseed, which is available for the Mac too, and using uh, True HDR. And the joke after the third day is everyone's going to follow Susan around to see what kind of pictures she's getting with her iPhone, see what kind of shots we can get with our expensive digital SLRs. Yeah. So, yeah. so I, I think it's a. I think it's. I think apps, if if, if for nothing else. Uh, these plugins are a ton of fun. I think they really can. Uh, I think I wrote an article somewhere. You know, they really can awaken the artist within. You can play around if you're if you need a creative boost. Play around with some plugins. It's amazing what you can do. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's yeah. amazing. And I I was resistant up until you know I don't know maybe maybe two or so years ago. Um, and because I've been with Photoshop from the beginning and just sort of understanding how to use it and then once once you build up that muscle memory you're like oh i know how to do that i know how to do that whatever you know and then i forget what it was i think it was at a photoshop world or something and i saw um people using plugins and doing all this cool stuff and i was like wait a minute i can't (laughs) i can't do that (laughs) you know it just gives you all these superpowers to be able to do this stuff nicole like how you're a you're a professional photographer and you you have stuff on you know online. You're selling stuff. You know, how do you, how do you integrate plugins into your workflow?
3: Well, a lot of my a lot of my work images, as far as my stock photography, my food photography, that's much more clean editing. So I don't I don't use a lot of like stylization and things like that with uh, with my work. I guess I, I shouldn't call it work. I should just call it stock because I do other work. You know, I create um, what I consider my art photos my landscape images and uh those are the types of photos that these types of tools are going to come into play for me um i've you know in the past it probably just as of maybe a year year and a half ago i never really used very many plugins i think i'd played, you know before i started using on one i played with the Nix software um and i don't even have the updated version now but you know they have some really good tools there they have color effects and they have um silver effects. Mm -hmm. And then I started using on one software. Uh, I think that one of the things that I really appreciate about using plugins because I know Photoshop really, really well. I know Lightroom really, really well. And so, you know, if you kind of look at that, it's like, well, there's really no reason that I should have to use a plugin because I don't have to use a plugin. I don't have to use Photoshop either. I could do everything in Lightroom, but I enjoy and appreciate these plugins because they kind of, they kind of force me to see things differently. Um, They're, I find inspiration with using different tools. You know, sometimes we get stuck using these same tools and equipment. And in in these cases, it's going to be Lightroom or Photoshop. And, you know, I I can jump into Photoshop and I know, okay, well, first I'm going to put a blank layer and do my cloning. And then I'm going to start, you know, doing my luminosity and I'm going to do my color. And then maybe I'll, you know, throw a black and white overlay. And I, I, I have this like routine that I go through in Photoshop and, that, that's just how I work, but when I push things into on one software, I go into effects If you go into effects, yeah, there are a bunch of like presets and things you can play with and I do play with those, but you don 't have to use any of those you can use the they have panels you know like kind of like layers and effects that you do in Photoshop, but they're different they kind of do the same thing, but it's a different approach yeah. so I find myself you know seeing things differently and oh maybe a cross processing effect would look really cool on this so I try that and now I've been using cross-processing more in in my my photos than I ever have in in the past. It's really subtle, but it it really inspires me to kind of find new ways to process things. And, you know, I think that we kind of need that. We kind of need to be kicked around a little bit to try different different things and
0: like brian trying android right (laughs) well
1: you know it's fun you both i want if i fuse what you frederick said and and what nicole said the way that we approach this is it's called it's artistic discovery um and it's frederick absolutely and and nicole cross-processing go ahead do it in photoshop you can but what we are able to do is give you a different exactly how Nicole said a different approach where we 're providing you with a visual um, reaction so you 'll see the cross process or one of several cross processes in, in, right there in front of you and that 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 helps you um, go down a certain path um, and with everything that you do, at least in our products, you could um, further refine and customize if it 's too yellow. Uh, in your highlights, you can pull that back.
0: Type yeah. Of- Before we leave this topic, I just want to talk a little bit about just things that you can do today other than using the proprietary on one technology to do image sizing. But the, on the retouching side, so you guys have a, a, a portrait retouching plugin that or software that mm-hmm. allows you to do things that you probably wouldn't. Be able to do before without reading I mean you could read a book and understand how to retouch people and all that stuff, but not in one click or a couple of clicks right to get around it. you want to just talk about that a little bit because I, I played with that, and that's pretty incredible
1: what you can do with it and it's getting even it's actually getting better you know that's exactly right it, it's um the the there there is additional um software that is built into the products like the on one stuff and Nick stuff um that and even like portraiture by Imagenomic, um where like for for perfect portrait, mm-hmm. um, and, and let's just clarify something. I love I I have uh, the Nick Suite installed. You know, one of the benefits of being uh, you know in the industry is I get all this stuff for free. Like I have my we're friends with Nick. I, you know, the the their relationship managers and their product managers are personal friends. Very cool. Um, yeah, it is you know there the I think the people want that kind of drama. Like, oh, people come to me and they're like, "I I I know, I own Nick." You know, is that okay? I'm like, oh, of course. <laughs> um, it's the old Apple versus Microsoft. kind is, of it, it's rivalry. A yeah. yeah, the the right tool for the right job. Sometimes um, color effects has uh, an effect there that I just can't replicate in uh, in effects. That's fine. Um, but the point is. Do you know the two? How long it took our two and two of our engineers who are PhDs to de- develop the facial recognition technology that you, no one's even seen yet with perfect effects to, or perfect portrait too. That's great. Um, yeah. it's not something that you would want to try to do in Photoshop. Trust me. <laughs> to detect detect eyes and then detect like the sclera in the eyes detect the retina and the iris um detect the mouth and then detect not only of the mouth but the distance between the lips and the teeth and then the bottom lips. It, it, I'll and- tell
0: you man I had a you know I I had I had basically had gone online I found different techniques from how people were retouching skin and you know doing and there's like these different formulas you know you do this you duplicate the layer you put it in this mode you do you know all that stuff so i i found myself doing the same thing over and over again so i would i i built a script for that so that i could just say okay here's a layer here's a girl i just shot run the script on it to get me to and put it on a new layer so that i can then start someplace but that doesn't even get me anywhere clear, near like like you were mentioning imagenomic portraiture and your software it those softwares know things about the g- geometry of the face <laughs> you're
1: exactly right you're you know, i don't know any of that I, my my script just knows pixels Yeah, you know, that's it no you're i walked by one of the engineers i was referring to today and on his screen he had a, a portrait uh, you know It's not just take – it'd be great if everyone – if the rule of portraits was that your head snaps to a straight on uh, to the camera lens uh, position. But no, heads tilt. uh, They're turned. Sometimes one eye is breaking the horizon. So you don't – you only have one eye visible. We need to compensate for all of that. And yeah, trust me. uh, It's – yeah, it's crazy. It, yeah Rick Salmon,
0: what are your what are your favorite plugins like what's your what's the workflow if you come back from your trip to Iceland and you want to process those images? what are you doing Well, I use a bunch of plugins,
2: oh. and uh, like Brian said I'm friends with everybody too, so I use the on one stuff I love the uh the Nick stuff you know one of the ones I, I like in Nick is the uh, and the sharpening. And when it comes to sharpening, just one quick tip here is, you know, a lot lot of people don't think about that when you sharpen a picture, you should really sharpen for viewing distance, Mm -hmm. you know, because that makes a big difference. If you're going to put a picture on your desk, you know, you're not going to sharpen it as much if the picture is going to be on your wall like three feet away. So just a little quick tip there, but uh, I love Color Effects Pro. Snapseed, I mentioned before, is fun. The On One stuff is great. Uh, I use the Tiffin stuff. You know, I teach all this stuff. Uh, I teach a lot of workshops, so you you have to know this stuff because people come up uh, come on the workshops with all these different uh, cool plugins and, and again I, they really can help uh, awaken the artists within so I recommend and a lot of them are yeah, free downloads not free downloads
0: free trial periods, free trials so, yeah now, Rick, so, have you seen the adoption of plugins increase over the years you know, yes people are already starting to use them more than, than they were before Oh,
2: absolutely. I, I think because they're, they're fun. And when you think about it, why did people get into photography in the first place? Not really <laughs> to make money. A lot of them do, got into it to to have fun. And I think, uh, you know, you could have so much fun, again, taking the reality out of the scene, really helping awaken the artist within, you know, you look at the painters, you know, the painters, you know, use different techniques to create artistic pictures and plugins, you know, they can, you know, take, you know, make, of course, make skin tones better, but they can also, that sounded like sleigh bells. Did you you hear that? Yeah. I heard that. Yeah. Yeah. The <laughs> well, necklace or something? What was that? <laughs>
3: no, I don't think it's me. I don't
2: know the reindeer. <laughs> it, it is getting close to Christmas, you know. It's, <laughs> it is September. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> but yeah, I, I have seen people uh, use the plugins and uh, and uh, and also you know the HDR, you know the HDR. Right. Sure. Yeah, that's a whole other thing, every, right? Yeah. Every, HDR. Everybody, everybody's using the HDR plugins, and of course, I tell people if you want to have fun, do a, a Google search. I hate HDR. Like 3,000 <laughs> pages come up. But if you do HDR right, and just one quick tip there, I think the, I think the subject suggests the effect. If you're going to do you know, a car in a junkyard, go for the grunge look. If you're going to do a mono lake, go for the natural look. So mm-hmm. I think the subject often suggests what type of effect from grunge to natural and whatever in between.
0: Now, don't you, Rick, don't you have an app out, uh, an uh, HDR app?
2: I do. It's called uh, iHDR. Uh, it's. The thing is, it doesn't do anything.
0: <laughs> <It's> <laughs> yeah. not, it's, Rick, it's, let, me, let me take you aside after the show and talk to you about marketing, okay? Make your HDR.
2: In other words, you can't use it to take uh, an HDR image, but... It's training, it, right? Yeah. And it has probably 50 or 75 examples. And uh, we have this cool feature on there where it dissolves from the straight shot into the HDR. I have all the different exposure settings in there. So it's not always like 0, plus 2, minus 2. Sometimes it's you know way over. Sometimes it's way under. So it's called Rick Samuels iHDR app, and it's uh, for the iPad.
0: Very cool. Very cool. So it does do something. It, it, what, you, what you meant to say, it, it's not an application to process HDR images. It's an application to teach you and get your brain around HDR, right. right? Yeah, I'm helping. I'm helping here. So, last <laughs> before we before we move this uh, move away from this, Nicole, I wanted to talk to you a little bit, or both of you, Nicole and Brian. Um, like I was saying before, my favorite plugin on the, on one side right now is Focal Point, mm-hmm. um, which because I'm a big fan of shallow depth of field and be able to control all that. So. What are some tips? You know, first, first of all, tell us, Nicole, tell us what Focal Point is, and then you both can tell tell us what some tips are for using that piece of software.
3: Sure, Focal Point is a way to basically reduce the depth of field and make it, you know, give, give your background kind of a blurry look to it. And there, are, you know, a few different they have these things called bugs, focus bugs that um, you can create either a round focus or a, like a planar focus. Add a tilt shift look to it. You can even use the like, masking tools and masking brushes within the software to paint focus back in to give things, you know, a little bit more three dimensional look. Um, it's probably in, in, to kind of quote myself on a book that hasn't been released yet. <laughs> I my my very first thing I say at the beginning of this chapter, something along the lines of. Say hello to my favorite products in the online software suite because it is. It's something that you – it's very – I mean, now that they, ha- they have it in Photoshop, and honestly, I haven't really played with it much in Photoshop, so I can't really talk to that. But I, I really enjoy it. It's one of those things that is very difficult to do and make it look realistic uh, without using this software, especially before they had it in Photoshop.
0: Yeah, yeah, it just gives you control. It gives you, yeah. you know, it 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 moves you. For me, you know, not you. It moves me to a level of like when I know that if I see an image in my mind's eye of a particular scene or person or something, n- when I know what processing capabilities I have back at my my computer, I can I can make different decisions about how I'm going to shoot that. So mm-hmm. I can say, okay, you know what, later. I'm going to blur that, so I'm going to shoot it with this particular lens instead, because I know later I can drop that background out of focus a little bit and tweak it and all that. Brian, what are, what what are some tips on using the focal point software?
1: You you really um, nailed it on the head there with what you said. I'm a I'm a that's I'm a firm believer of that is knowing the tools that you have so that you can make appropriate decisions in the field. Mm-hmm. Um, so with with um, the tips, you know. Uh, one of the, I had a webinar series that I used to do, uh, called to tilt or not to tilt and re- references tilt shift lenses. Now, you know, I think a lot of people just throw this word tilt shift around and don't really understand what it is. You know, I, I have three tilt shift lenses, you know, three Canon lenses that are tilt shifts. I, I live and die by my tilt shift lenses for the shifting capabilities, you know, to correct for a uh, rectal to get rectilinear lines. Um, what people want to get is that miniature world look um like where things look like little figurines now the reason why i did that to tilt or not to tilt um series was to compare um taking a shot that anyone can take with their regular their standard lens versus um a tilt shift so uh, for instance uh i took my 24 to 70 at the time and i had my 24 tilt shift i shot both the exact same image at 24 millimeters except with one of them with a twenty four tilt shift, I tilted the the front element of the lens, and the result was that um you actually lose that sweet spot of sharpness with a tilt shift lens it's just, it's just something about it that you're losing a that tiny bit of tack sharpness um because you're you're tilting your lens so um uh, it, it, this basically the story here is to to kind of um back up what you just said where um I can just go out my twenty four seventy and I know that all right. I want this particular plane to be the, the miniature world thing, so I'm going to shoot it this way in the field. And I have this tool at home that I can use to simulate it. Yep. Um, with that said, the tip, focal point, like any good thing in life, is best when it's used in moderation. Meaning, I'm not saying use it once a year. I'm saying um, things like the amount of blur. Uh, the stock, The default setting is 30% blur, which is outlandishly unreal drop that down to about 10 percent the blur and you're going to get a very very true to life uh representation of a of a you know a 1.2 or a 1.4 aperture be subtle yeah. right be subtle exactly don't slam your viewers over the head with that kind of effect it just doesn't work i always tell people to, like when i when i uh, like do
0: seminars or whatever i always say you need to be a pixel burglar right the, the, the most successful burglars, people don't even know they were there. You know, you're exactly. in there and you're out. If somebody knows that you did work on an image, you failed. That's right. right. That's <laughs> exactly you, right. You're right. It should look like, oh, wow, you are a really good photographer. That's the ultimate compliment. Right?
3: Along the lines with that, um, one of the, my favorite actual products now, I have kind of two because I've really been writing the book and you know, learning so much about these features. Mm-hmm. Uh, Perfect Mask is, does such a good job at masking. And I work on the help desk with the NAPP. So I get a lot of questions about making selections and using Refine Edge. And I'll be honest, I'm not a pro in Photoshop at making these perfectly, beautifully pulled from the background um, selections to throw into a composite, which is why I think, and I don't think there are very few people who are like really, really good at it and can do it really quickly. Um, But I think that's why I like perfect masks so much because it's so easy to use and I'm not going to get into like a sales pitch here, but it's, it's a really awesome product. But if you are interested in doing any type of compositing work, um, masking out your image, you know, so obviously how you pull your image from whatever background it was, putting a new image behind it. If you want to blur that, you can do a complete overall, blur. you don't have to have a point of focus using focal point. You can make the entire thing blurry and oh, it actually yeah. gives it that realistic bokeh background look. Mm-hmm. So, so it's not just like, throwing a Gaussian blur on your image. You're actually making it look like it's a lens quality blur. So that's, I guess, one of my tips, you know, for doing composite work. You know, once you have your image and you have your background, blur that background using a product like Focal Point and it's going to look more realistic and people aren't really going to necessarily know You know that it was faked.
0: Love it. Love it. it Awesome. Awesome tips, guys. All right. uh, Before we continue, I want to give a quick nod to one of our sponsors. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by Carbonite Online Backup. Basically, your your computer files are your assets; they're valuable, and so is your time. So, what Carbonite's goal is is save you both, save you both time and. Your assets. They should use that. Save your assets. Anyway, so (laughs) Carbonite saves your, your computer files by backing them up automatically and continually in the background whenever your computer is connected to the internet. It works in the background so you can just keep doing what you're doing, working on your photos, whatever. And when it detects a change, it pumps it up to the cloud. So you're always safe. Doesn't matter. It doesn't really slow down your computer at all. You can just, you know, it just works away whenever it has spare cycles, it does its thing. And then if you're away from your computer and you need to access some of the files that were backed up, you can get to them on your smartphone, Android or iOS, or your iPad with the free app that they have, a free Carbonite app. So, you know, they say this is clearly the better backup plan with unlimited backup of your computer. So there's no tiered, okay, if you get 4 gigs, it's this, it's 10 gigs, it's that. You get everything, unlimited backup for $59 a year. And if you run a small business, Carbonite also has plans designed to back up all of your computers, servers, and external hard drives. So go ahead and check out your free trial today at Carbonite.com. Use the offer code TWIP and you'll get two bonus months if you decide to buy. That's Carbonite.com with the offer code TWIP. All right, uh, guys, uh, right now I want to quickly insert this interview I did with Mr. Brian O'Neill-Hughes. He's the Senior Product Manager for Photoshop and Bridge at Adobe Systems. Brian and I talk about basically why photographers should consider upgrading. Give it a listen. All right, we have something, uh, a bit of a treat for the This Week in Photo listeners this time around. Mr. Brian O'Neill-Hughes is with me now. He's the senior product manager for Adobe Photoshop, of course, at a company called Adobe. So, Brian and I are going to chat about just the the new release of Photoshop and why, you know, just sort of the, the some of the cool features in there and how they directly pertain to photographers and why you should upgrade if you haven't upgraded yet cuz you know, I was telling Brian on the, you know, before we started the call, I haven't upgraded yet and I'm looking forward to this call so that I can know that I should or if I shouldn't. So Brian, welcome to This Week in Photo.
4: Thank you. It's great to be here and nice to talk to you again. It's been a while.
0: I know. It's been a while. We used to work right down the, right down the hall from each other and I'm, I feel like I haven't seen you in years. It has been years. So, oh, wow. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good to hear your voice, man. I, I was telling you, I've, I've been keeping up with the, uh, the, the launch videos that you were doing and the walkthrough of the different features and all that stuff online. So it's uh, some really, really cool borderline magical stuff going on so
4: thanks there's a lot to talk about
0: yeah so let's just jump right in um so the this latest version of photoshop is out it's in the it's in the market's hands people are playing with it the the question off the top of my head is if you're on a previous version of photoshop and you're a photographer and you're doing okay right now should you upgrade? Is this the time to jump in and say, "Okay, I want to plunk down my money and and go with the latest and greatest"?
4: Yeah, so I can, as always, I can give you a shorter or a long answer. I'll probably give you something in between. Yeah, uh, I can tell you that you know CS five we we had a big mountain to scale with getting to Cocoa, which gave us sixty four bit native on the Mac, and I think it was a it was a great release. It was one of our most successful releases in history, but that took up a ton of time, and there were a lot of things we weren't able to do. We didn't have a big architectural mountain to summit this time around, and so we were actually able to change more than sixty percent more features in CS6 than we did in CS5, and there are a ton of those that apply to photographers. It's a very um, it, it's a very full release, and. For a a variety of different sorts of users. Obviously, after 22 years, a lot of people use Photoshop, Mm -hmm. but we're very aware and certainly as an author and a photographer and someone who's done a lot of evangelizing for Lightroom, we're very aware of what the workflow looks like for people moving from Lightroom or Aperture or some sort of raw editor into Photoshop and the sort of things people want. So there's a ton there for photographers.
0: That's that's great. So then let's talk about that. You mentioned Lightroom, you know, something that's near and dear to my heart. A lot of photographers are saying as Lightroom's feature set gets crisper and crisper and more and more powerful, they're finding less and less reasons to jump over to to Photoshop CS6 or, or use Photoshop in general. How are you seeing, as a product manager, the two the two sort of juggernauts in the photography space play together.
4: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I I feel the same way. I think that if you're using Lightroom correctly, if you're using it to, uh, you know, amass and store and sort all of your images and do global edits on all of your images, um, then that is absolutely somewhere that it makes sense that you're going to spend a ton of your time. But you would be very hard-pressed to find an image you know, that lives in the web, that lives in print, that's published, that hangs on a wall, uh, that goes into any sort of, you know, serious production or advertising uh, that doesn't pass through Photoshop. Um, You know, it's not unlike the, the old days where you had your lab that you pushed all your film through, and then you had your custom lab or someone you really knew well to work on your hero shot. And that's really, that's where Photoshop comes in. So it can do heavy lifting with things like panos and and hdrs and you know pushing things into all different formats but photoshop's strength is selective edits and that's what it really shines at and you know lightroom it teases with that with you know graduated filters and and even the adjustment brush but that's just not its strength its strength is not detailed specific edits Uh, Mm -hmm. and for that there there isn't anything that does a better job than photoshop but you know to to agree with what you said and i do that's not every shot. In fact, that's depending on how often you shoot. If you're a wedding photographer shooting 3,000 images at a wedding, that might just be 30 or 40 of your images. Mm. Um, so it really depends on who's doing what. A fine art photographer, there's a much better chance that all of those images are going to find their way over to Photoshop. And maybe a sports shooter, very few of those images would find their way over to Photoshop because it's just about um, really quickly shooting and then you know, popping those JPEGs off and, and getting them to the news agency and really not retouching them at all.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then as, as far as the integration goes between the two, it's not an either or, right? You're, you, back when I was working with you guys, the the whole part of the integration was the round tripping out of Lightroom into Photoshop and back into Lightroom so that you, and any other third party editor, right? And you've, you've refined that a bit, right? Can you talk about that a little bit?
4: Yeah, I think that's a huge, uh, very important distinction to, to make is that, you know, Lightroom is is where we want you to start, especially as a photographer. Um, but it's you know, we sit on the same floor, as you know, and we work hand in hand, and we share a lot of the same code. We even share some of the same engineers. It's designed so that you can pop over to Photoshop, and as soon as you close or save, by default, a duplicate file is saved back to your library. So uh, it doesn't take a lot of time using Lightroom to to realize the benefits of its library and how. Um, how wonderful a database can be for for your images, um, but they're absolutely meant to complement each other. It's never a case of one over the other. I think the only time that that would come up would be in the sort of, uh, you know, the older way of doing things, which would be Bridge and Camera Raw, which you can facilitate a lot of the same things that you could do with the Live module and the Develop module. But Lightroom is tuned for the needs of photographers, and it plugs in really well with Photoshop
0: wow yeah that's great so let's let's talk about some of the features in in photoshop c s six you know from a, I know there's a ton of features in there, but from your perspective, I know you shoot a lot as well what are the what are the most important ones for the the photographers out there
4: well i 'll say the one that's probably the most um, contentious and misunderstood right up front because I think it's the most exciting, and a lot of the photographers I know feel the same way, and that's video mm. now Video is one of these things that uh, you pretty much can't buy a DSLR these days that doesn't have uh, high-def video. You can't buy a point-and-shoot that doesn't have it. And you know you can't even buy a telephone that doesn't have video. Right. And we've had video support in Extended since CS3, but that was never intended for photographers. It was always pretty tricky to use. But if you were to show someone that you could apply any adjustment layer and any filter to video and Photoshop that starts to get their attention. And we did five waves of research on this. And what we heard from people was, Hey, Photoshop and video make sense to me because I don't want to learn something. I don't want to learn an NLE. I don't want to learn a nonlinear editor like Premiere Pro or Final Cut. Now, some of them do. And those folks are all set. We're not trying to compete with that. But there are a lot of people that want to get into video that bought their 5D2 or D800 or 5D3 and are super intimidated by it. And so what we did in CS6 is the first thing we did is we said, you know what, this isn't just for extended. We can't say that everyone's doing it and then serve up that functionality just in extended. You know, Lightroom, uh, they do a good job of storing the video and even playing the video back now, but when it comes to adjustment, you really can't do anything over there. So if you open the file in Photoshop, Either version of CS6 will open the file. We use AME. It'll be Media Encoder, so Mm -hmm. we can open just about anything, and we can spit out just about anything. Um, And it's got a very friendly, almost iMovie-like interface for transitions, fades, dissolves. But you've got Photoshop's crazy powerful text engine and all of the filters and all of the adjustment layers, and you don't need to know anything more than filters and adjustment layers to apply any of those things to video.
0: That's great. That's great. So then where would you, like, if you were to to draw or sketch buckets of where users would fit into, say, the Premiere crowd versus editing video in Photoshop, would it be the, you know, the Hollywood guys that are sitting in Edit Bay? Those are the folks that are using Premiere and the photographers and and, and that ilk are using Photoshop for video? Is that fair?
4: Yeah. Don't don't get me wrong. Um, Premiere... It, that's that's the best solution. No, no two ways about it. It's a fantastic program. It's done exceptionally well. I think it's helped that you know Final Cut has stumbled some, and a lot of people have embraced uh, Premiere and really enjoyed the uh, you know the power of it and the the performance benefits. Mm-hmm. But for people who feel like Photoshop can be a little intimidating and that the it's a bit like the cockpit of a seven forty seven, the Premiere workflow feels like the space shuttle Um, and that's not to say that seasoned users can't take advantage of it and do incredible things and if you're up to it that's absolutely the place to do video because it's it's uncompromised it's that's all it does and it does it exceptionally well but we found that there are a ton of people that want to play around with video and found it very intimidating so we wanted to offer them something that if you could use Photoshop, you could use Photoshop on video. And it's just our way of saying, hey, you've got stills coming off your camera. You've got video, too. Mm-hmm. We're going to help you work with video in the same way that you work with stills. I think if we've done our job right, it will grow a lot of folks into Premiere. And they will eventually hit um, the ceiling, and they'll decide to move on. But I think for a lot of people, it's going to be the inroad. In fact, I know that it is because I've already read a ton about this, and I've already heard a lot of people um, talking about this you know if you, you ask scott kelby what his favorite feature is in cs6 and uh it's absolutely video because so many folks want a solution to this problem yeah
0: yeah so then are we looking at video in photoshop as for is it targeted at doing shorter clips or can i do long form video in there and then the second the second part of the question is if if i outgrow the features in photoshop because like like you said it's it's a, a an easy to approach, almost iMovie like interface. If I outgrow that and I need more power, like say After Effects or or uh, Premiere, can I port that project that I started in Photoshop over to one of the more powerful pieces of software? Right.
4: So uh, today, that is our most uh, most loudly heard request is <laughs> let me hand this project off to Premiere. Now, granted, there's probably you know a fraction of the people using it who are working with others who are using premiere or are moving to premiere, but that is not a reason not to do that. We absolutely should. It's our intention to do that. Uh, the work that you see in there for video was the work of one very hard working engineer. Wow. Uh, that is, that, that is the, the hope to get there, but it's not there today. Um, to answer the, the first part of your question, is it better for shorter clips? It is. I mean, Photoshop is a workhorse and it's doing a lot. Um, and it's, it is not the place you want to do your feature length film. But that dovetails nicely with the photography story, because you can't record especially long clips on a DSLR anyway. Right,
0: right. So with with Photoshop, is it fair to say that I could make some seriously cool slideshows in there that that incorporate audio and video and transitions and titles and all that magic?
4: Absolutely. In fact, you know, we, we did go to Even though our intention was to make this for photographers and people who want to wet their feet with video, we did go to Hollywood and and we talked to a lot of folks and we talked to, uh, you know, we spent a lot of time with the Bandito brothers who did Act of Valor with 22 5D Mark IIs and Mm -hmm. they leverage uh, Premiere quite a bit in that. Um, And the thing that we found, the thing that, that kept coming up was Photoshop is used for all sorts of special effects in movies. But in every single film that we encountered, whether they were using Final Cut or Premiere, Photoshop was used for text. Everybody was using Photoshop's text engine. Um, so that's, that's one of those things that is just sort of a natural. Um, as far as the transitions and fades go, they're pretty vanilla. That They're what you'd find elsewhere. But keep in mind, really, any adjustment layer... Or any filter could be applied to video just as easy, easily as it could to still. So you can do some pretty advanced color grading in Photoshop.
0: That's wonderful. That's wonderful. And then before we move on to to feature two, your favorite feature for photographers, um, in terms of just the UI and how you can manipulate the filters that you apply to clips in Photoshop, can you are those are those filters keyframeable over time, or are yeah. you just you so, just lay it on there and you're done?
4: we just throw it on timeline by default, but you can also, uh, you know, Photoshop's video power is, it's pretty significant. Um, the old way of doing it, one of the old ways is you could bring in frames as layers. Mm -hmm. So you can do, uh, all sorts of things layer by layer. You can do all sorts of, um, you know, much more detailed edits if you've got the time and, you know, that could go as far as content or fill and stuff like that. If you want to work it frame by frame, you can absolutely remove things from video. Um, you can do a lot of tricky stuff. But the the default that we've served up is a very friendly, familiar timeline where things are just dragged and dropped. Yeah,
0: wow, that's great. Okay, so feature number two. What's your, what's your Brian's list of favorite photography features of Photoshop CS6?
4: Yeah, you know, and when I say what my favorites are, my favorites are things that solve common problems because yeah. I, I'm a, you know, I'm a photographer and I'm, I, I hesitate to call myself a power user, but I guess, uh, you know, uh, related to other folks, maybe I would be. So when I say the things that are my favorites, they're really the ones that solve the problems that I hear out in the world. And so one of the ones that I think is super cool is what we're doing around blur. So if you've per, here's a perfect example. So a high end user, um, would want the ability to blur an image in a case like, you know, the image that I show, I, I shot this elephant uh, with my, uh, you know, I had a 70 to 200 with a two X converter in Africa and I wasn't able to get the shallow depth of field that I wanted. You know, I've got, I've got good gear, but because of the environment I'm shooting in and because of the extender uh, you know, I don't have the shallow depth of field that I want. So mm-hmm. if I want to use software to synthesize that shallow depth of field. Historically, that meant a bunch of selections and masking and layering and really sort of, you know, uh, graduating the effect so it's believable. And it's something a lot of people want to do. That's an edge case that I described with the DSLR. If you buy a DSLR with a kit lens, you know, with like an F4 lens or something, you really can't get that shallow depth of field look. If you have a point and shoot, it's very tough to get it. If you have an iPhone, and there are a ton of iPhone images passing through Photoshop, um, then it's, it's almost impossible to get it. So we came up with three new blurs, and I think the one that's the coolest is called Iris Blur. And it, it, feels like, uh, it feels like a touch feature, because the way that it works is you just drop a pin on the image, and that's the area that's in focus, and then you've got four pins that you pull out. And between those pins and the outer circle is the area that's feathered. So you're able to dictate the feathered area and the full strength area just by dragging these little pins around. They can move independent of each other by option clicking. And what's really cool is you can drop as many pins on an image as you want. So imagine a line of five people in a wedding party and you want to have shallow depth of the field, but you want to do something that's photographically impossible, like having different people in focus at different distances. You can do some really cool stuff uh... With Iris Pro,
0: that's killer. Okay, yeah, uh, I'm I'm a big fan. I think the entire world should be seen at f 1.4. So I think that's maybe even one two. Um, so that's that's awesome. That's a great feature. Okay, uh, that congratulations. So number number three. What's number three on your list?
4: All right, so let's do sort of a a, a really cool thing for photographers that you can't do anywhere else. Um, and it's, uh, it's around wide angle. So if you recall last time around, uh, Lightroom 3 and Photoshop CS5 added support for automated lens correction. Yep. And that's fantastic. You, get, uh, you automatically take care of the distortion, which is probably the most obvious, and then the chromatic aberration or color fringing and the vignetting. And those can just automatically be removed in the raw pipeline, and they look great. Uh, the problem is, especially with a wide-angle lens, if you change the orientation of the lens. So imagine that I tilt my wide-angle lens, I tilt my, you know, 14-millimeter lens, or let's just say it's my 20-millimeter lens, I tilt the building. Well, what's going to happen is the bottom of the building is going to be really wide and the top of the building is going to be really narrow. And if I apply lens correction, it's going to treat it like I shot it at the same plane as the building. It doesn't know about the orientation of the camera. And so it's just going to kind of straighten lines out, but it's not going to have any information about the perspective that I shot it. Um, this is really pronounced in wide angle images and it's super pronounced in panoramas. Uh, I think the case where people would see it and appreciate it the most is imagine a wedding that's shot with a 20 millimeter lens, the people off to the sides, all of their, you know, their arms get wider and their noses get longer and it's very unflattering. Yeah. Uh, because of the curvature of the lens. So what we needed was a way to do lens correction, but with a little bit of user input so that the user can tell the image which areas are supposed to be straight. Now, if there's one reason that you, as a, as a seasoned photographer and a power user, uh, pull down the, the 30-day free trial of Photoshop CS6... I would say play around with uh, you know, the wide angle correction. It's really awesome. So you just open your image and then you go to adaptive wide angle and it knows the physical dimensions of your lens. So if you click on an area of the image, and as soon as you start pulling the line around, the line is curved in the same way that the lens is curved, which is to say the edges of the image are going to have a stronger curve. You just click on an area that you want to be straight and it's automatically tracing because it knows the shape of the lens, and it will straighten that area. So think of it like almost like a tilt-shift lens after the fact, like a really high-end perspective-controlled lens in software. Um, and it's, it's awesome, and it'll work on panos. It'll even work on video. You could, do, you could apply it to GoPro video, which are known for having wide angle, uh, and fix these wild distortions in there.
0: Wow! I was just going to ask that. You, 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 I was going to ask if that was applicable to video. So it is. All this stuff can go on video.
4: So that's. I mean, for the sort of anyone shooting anything wider than a thirty-five is going to love that. Um, yeah. Architect, yeah. events, landscape. Uh, it's it's amazing.
0: Now, are all the is the is was what's the best way to phrase the question? So. All the lenses that I have right now, right? Are they? They all have their own particular idiosyncrasies and pluses and minuses, and you know all that stuff. So, are in, and I'm on the Nikon system. So, is it safe to say that this Photoshop knows about my the library of images or the library of lenses that I have right now, or or does it do math and it doesn't matter what the lens is? It just knows the focal length and does some some.
4: We absolutely want to know what the lens is, and we do know what the lens is. And we've we've profiled hundreds of lenses. But even more importantly than that is the lens with the camera. So, for instance, on the Nikon system, you've got a lot of uh, crop sensors, and increasingly you have some full frame sensors. The image is going to look entirely different on a crop sensor than it does on something like a you know a D800 with a full frame sensor. Uh, so, we don't only um, profile the lenses; we profile the lenses on the individual cameras as well. And we can read all that EXIF data coming straight off the file. So we know which body you shot with, and we know which lens you shot with, and we will offer up a profile based on that. And we've spent a ton of time getting all of the most popular ones in there. Um, In the case of the normal lens correction, if it's not in there, we actually make a lens profile generator. uh, We distribute that on Adobe Labs, and you can print out a target and make your own. Uh, profile as well
0: that's really cool all right now brian at the beginning we were talking about some of the videos that you had put up online and i i I recall one of them was about the content aware features in photoshop can you uh can you and i knew that no the new one is content aware patch that's in there can you talk about that a little bit and what
4: it's for and who it's for Sure, yeah, there's, there's two new ones. There's Content-Aware Patch and Content-Aware Move. Okay. I think Content-Aware Fill was the runaway hit of Photoshop cs 5 Essentially what it did is it allowed you to fill in an area by having the software. All you had to do was make a selection, and the software looked around, and it filled it with pixels that matched, and they, maxed, they matched with the texture and the tone and the lighting so that you could do things as extreme as removing a person from an image, or you could pick up trash uh, or in the case of a panorama with all that you know, sort of strange white space outside the odd-shaped panorama, you could actually uh, add in content that was missing. And so we've taken that quite a bit further in CS6. And the first thing we did is a lot of people said, you know, content-aware fill is really cool, but Photoshop decides what to fill an area with. I want to tell it what to fill it with, and then I want it to use that really elegant algorithm for blending and synthesizing pixels and adding in texture and tone and making it look great. So essentially what they wanted was the Content-Aware patch tool. So if you go into the familiar patch tool now in CS6, there's an option for Content-Aware. Um, it really it takes Content-Aware fill to a, a whole other level. It essentially makes it uh, user-driven. You, uh, you, can, you can drive the results of it.
0: That's great. That's great. Cool. Lots of magic stuff in there. It's crazy.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And content or move just takes that. Uh, and any, any of your listeners can you know go to our Photoshop YouTube channel and, and see the video I did on content or move. What it allows you to do is pick up a piece of your image and recompose it. So you could drag, you know, say I, I used to shoot uh, motorsports. I'm shooting a bunch of shots of a car coming through a curve and it's not quite at the apex. I can pick the car up and scoot it over, and what it's going to do is it's going to delete the original and just take the new one and drop it in there, so it'll recompose your image after the fact.
0: Oh, that's crazy. That's crazy. All right, I want to I want to end this I want to be respectful of your time. I know you probably have a million things to do, but this last question, um, I know it's key. You guys have um, you in CS6, you released a, uh, some software in there called the Mercury Graphics Engine. So is that part of the is that what's driving the content aware features and what else is that driving?
4: Yeah, I'm glad you asked. So uh, we've been putting in GPU support for quite a while. We we really closely integrate with uh, the hardware, you know, on, on both platforms. But we really tap into the GPU, and we did that increasingly in CS6. Content-Aware Phil already used the GPU, uh, the Blur feature that I mentioned uh, certainly uses the GPU, 3D leverages GPU, all sorts of different features that we have leveraged the GPU, either for performance or to show things on screen that weren't possible otherwise. And for CS6, we wanted to give it a, a wrapper. And so... In the video world, we've got the Mercury Playback Engine. And so we decided to call it the Mercury Graphics Engine for Photoshop. So since CS3, we've been adding GPU-supported features, And we're just sort of referring to that whole family as the Mercury Graphics Engine. But to answer your question, we've done more to tap into the GPU in CS6 than we ever have before. And people can rest assured that, you know, you don't have to have the latest, greatest hardware. We're not a hardware company, and we give you that support uh, several versions back, so you know you can have a a Mac or a PC from you know four or even five years ago and take full advantage of these features.
0: That's great. Well, Brian, I'll leave you. I'll, I'll leave it with this with this last question. I'm sure you get this a lot, um, but we've seen we've seen Photoshop grow from you know just being pushing pixels around to now doing some pretty magical stuff with stills and video and 3d and all that kind of stuff what is next i mean every time every time a version of photoshop comes out it's like okay this is it you know we don't need anything else but there's always something cooler what what can you tell us about what's on the horizon
4: Sure. You know, as you know, my, my Bart collar will go off if I talk about anything. I know
0: yeah, the shot collar
4: disclosed, uh, but I can tell you, I mean, I'll give you sort of a, a generic answer and then I'll tell you about something that a lot of people wonder about. Um, it's a more exciting time for us than it ever has been because everyone in the world has a camera in their pocket. More people are taking pictures than any other time in history. More people are generating content than ever before. Video content, still content, they're sharing it There are so many opportunities when it comes to imaging, uh, especially if you think about things like, uh, you know, more intelligent imaging, uh, whether it's facial recognition or automatically, um, you know, combining images. One of the things that we showed at Adobe Max that people are very excited about is called D-Blur. So the ability to restore focus in an image. So you take an image with a mobile device or even a DSLR, you get camera shake in there. And uh, that's very, very, very common, and we have some very early research that we've shown. Uh, it's pretty mind blowing. You can look up that video as well. Just look up deep blur and Photoshop, and uh, that's that's uh, early research that's shown there into what we're doing around actually. It's not sharpening; it's actually removing blur. So uh, there is so much that we that we're working on. Um, it's a more exciting time than it's ever been. We're 22 years into Photoshop. Uh, and I've been here for 13 of them, and I can tell you uh, what we're working on now is the most exciting stuff we've ever done.
0: That's great. That's exciting. Well, Brian, thank you so much for taking the time today. This is uh, inspirational and educational. Um, So I would assume that you'd like people to just head over to adobe.com to check out Photoshop. Any other places you'd like them to go check out?
4: Yeah, you know, there's about a half a dozen of us on the team that are very active in social media, so uh, following us on Facebook is where we... uh, have done a bunch of sneak peeks in the past and there's some really great tips and tricks. Um, you know, there's, there's several of us that that are interacting with folks every day there. So I definitely check that out. Um, and then there's Photoshop.com, which is, uh, I've got a page there with a bunch of my videos and a bunch of other people do as well. So tons of resources, um, Thank you very much for having me. It's it's uh, great to chat again, and it's really nice to reach directly uh, out to photographers because I'm a photographer myself.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you, Brian, and you have a you have a good rest of your day. I appreciate it.
4: Okay. Take care, friend.
0: Yep. Bye-bye. You too. Bye bye. You can learn more about Brian O'Neill Hughes by visiting his personal website, and or actually this is his, his Adobe website, it's at uh, photoshop.com slash people slash Brian, and it'll tell you all about Brian and the stuff that he's working on, or you can, of course you can check out his little software product called Adobe Photoshop CS6 at adobe.com slash photoshop. All right, folks, it is time for some listener Q&A. This is the segment where we answer questions that have been at the top of some of our listeners' minds. The first question is from John in Ottawa, Ontario. Before I read this question, who's using an Nikon on the show? Who's a Nikon shooter? It
3: would be you, Frederick.
0: It's only me, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> what I was is up with that? that? I was Why? Really... <laughs> Why is it like that? Come on. Jeez. All right, I got to work on that. Anyway, so uh, John's question is, he says, I'm in the market for a new camera and have honed in on the Nikon D800 as a strong contender. I've heard a great deal of discussion, however, that the D800 requires your technique to be flawless in addition to some serious glass in order to be useful. Could you comment on the validity of this and to what extent it holds water? So I think this is for any any high-end camera you know, he's saying if he buys a high end camera, does he need to be a technically flawless photographer and buy really <laughs> expensive glass?
2: Well, you know what? I know Nicole LeBriand would say, no, not if you have on one software. <laughs> <laughs> it's right. Right?
0: That's and shoot raw, you know. <laughs>
2: right? You know, I, I'm <laughs> looking actually at the DP that. Review uh, site, and, uh, you know, you just scroll down, and it compares that to the. Uh, the uh, 5D Mark III, which I use. But, you know, he says, I've heard a great deal of discussion that the D800 requires your technique to be flawless. I've never heard that. I haven't heard that either. I, you you know, know,
3: I I, just, I'm sorry, didn't mean to interrupt, right? No, go I, ahead. <laughs> okay, I'll interrupt. <remember. laughs> so, it, well, I think that what he's saying, you know, the D800 has a, a, like it's a 36 megapixels or something like that. It's like huge. Mm-hmm. So maybe he's just you know saying that you have you can see so much closer in than you could say with a 20 or 18 megapixel body so you can see your mistakes better
0: yeah i don't know i mean i mean when you when you say your technique needs to be flawless i don't know i mean you you need to be a good photographer in my mind you have to understand lighting uh, you know, exposure, composition, all those—you know—that trifecta of things. In order to be a good shooter, you have to understand that with a D800 or with a Rebel. You know, well, yeah, you know,
1: right. To, to Rick's point, like, why why does my TechniCaster be flawless if I'm using a D800 as opposed to a 5D Mark III, which um, you know is is just as ballsy of a contender?
2: Yeah, yeah, totally. He also says, in addition to some serious, serious glass, glass, is, is useful. useful.
1: Somebody has
0: an echo going on over there. I Uh, hear an echo. Who is it? Mm. It
2: sounded like me, but I don't know. I think it's gone. It has gone it's gone. It <laughs> anyway, a, a serious glass, you know, of course, you know, you know the the funny expression, cameras don't take pictures, people do, then they change it to cameras don't take pictures, lenses do. Of course, the better the lens, the better the the image, and we could have a whole uh, podcast on that. Sure. But, uh, you know, you can get, you know, an inexpensive lens. You were talking about uh, 1.2 or 1.4 lenses. You could buy an inexpensive 50-millimeter uh, lens like that and not spend a lot of money. So you don't have to spend a ton of money to get, uh, as far as the lens goes, to get a great picture. Yeah.
1: It's, it's funny. So this, this uh, John in Ottawa, you know, I, it's a, I can appreciate, you know, technique being flawless and, you know, these kinds of concerns. But what I don't, what I find funny, especially with the D800 more than anything else, is no one seems to have concerns over just how fast your CF card is going to get filled and your hard drives are going to get filled <laughs> and the amount of processing power it takes. Right. to edit a 36 megapixel image. Yeah. yeah.
0: Again, like you guys who was who was saying it before the the right tool for the right job, right? So right. if you're if you're if you're primarily sharing your images on, you know, online, you and you know and that's where your that's your gallery everything is online and you even if you do client work and you're going to be the largest image you're going to be printing might be a 16 by 20 d800 Yeah, <laughs> it might be a little bit more much more than you need i don't know you, you know? know I tell
3: you what from from a stock perspective i can appreciate the megapixels because i, I shoot i think all of us here actually except for frederick are all with the 5d mark iii which is the most megapixels i've ever had in a camera yeah. um but the more megapixels for stock photos, then the higher, um, the larger the file size. I can sell, which equals more royalties if the larger file size is actually used. But if you have a really, really large file, and let's say you do fudge the focus by a really small amount, you can downsize that file, and, and it will give it the appearance of being sharper. So you know you having more megapixels gives you a little bit more room to make mistakes um, yeah, yeah. but you're going to notice those mistakes so much more when you have that many more megapixels and you can zoom in at 100% and see all of them
0: so to answer john's question you don't have you don't necessarily have to have flawless mortal combat technique <laughs> in order to to uh, to get your d800 if you want to get a d800 go get a d800 you'll just have but just be cognizant of the fact that you're going to use all you know, you'll get fewer images on your CF cards, and you know storage and all that stuff, and of course processor speed, like Brian was saying. So if you don't necessarily need all that, you don't need to get a D800, unless you sure. just, you know, you're a dentist and you have that money to spend. <laughs> dentist. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, dentist money. You got dentist money. You can do yeah, a dentist. few <laughs> extra cleanings and go get that D. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you got a show uh, title now. <laughs> I know. I'm gonna get hate mail. Um, okay. Question number two is from Anthony Williams in the UK, and he says I often struggle with front to back sharpness in my landscape images, especially where I have some foreground interest close to the lens and a distant vista in the background. No matter how I try, I just can't seem to get a tack sharp overall image. Mm. And he says he ha- he goes on to say I haven't tried focus stacking and all that stuff. So Rick, what about? You? Let's go to you first because you do a lot of this stuff too. What? If you can't get a sharp image, could it be his diopter on the back of the? Lens? I
2: don't know. Well, he could, could have a fingerprint on, uh, on the on the rear element, whatever. But seriously, you know, to get the maximum depth of field, uh, Nicole's too young to to know this, to remember this. But Nicole, did you ever see a lens with a hyperfocal point setting on it?
3: Oh yeah.
0: Oh. Well. Well, lenses used to have... Uh, <laughs> hey, high Brian's
3: just the same age as I am, too, just to, you know... <laughs> so anyway...
0: His voice is deeper, so he sounds older. I
2: don't know. So, yeah. So lenses used to have this mark on it, but, you know, if you want the maximum depth of field, yeah. basically what you want to do is you want to use a wide-angle lens, focus okay. one-third into the scene, not two-thirds, one-third into the scene, and use a small aperture like f16 or whatever. And that'll give you the maximum depth of field. And of course, if a subject's too close to the lens, if you're shooting through leaves and the leaves are like one inch from the lens, you know you're not going to get the uh, you're not going to get everything in focus straight out of the camera shot. You know you could use what's called as focus stacking, where it lets you take multiple exposures and you can basically blend these pictures together in Photoshop and get uh, get more depth of field. The other technique, if you don't use focus stackers, stack stacking, if you just back up a little. If you want that leaf in the, in the picture, you know, Nicole was saying, you know, you could downsize the image. We could play a lot in the digital darkroom. We could back up a little. Don't have that leaf or fence or branch so close or window so close to the lens. And then crop our picture uh, afterward so we have uh, everything in focus. But when I take a landscape picture, he brings up, Anthony um, uh, brings up a good point. When I take a landscape picture, when I take a seascape picture, usually I want the scene to look as it looks to my eyes everything in focus. Yeah. So, again, you could use that technique I mentioned before about focusing one-third into the scene and so forth and or using a focus back, focus stacking. Or if you have, you know, a bunch of bucks, you could buy that uh, that tilt-shift lens. Yeah,
0: yeah. Nicole, Brian, you have cheap. you have anything to add cheap. to
3: that? Well, I definitely it's... My guess is, well, unless his lenses are... Um, Rick actually kind of touched on this, but... Clean your lenses, you know, make sure they're clean. Because it could just be a very simple issue like that. I think a lot of us kind of forget about things, um, like simple things like cleaning. But it's probably a hyperfocal distance issue, just like Rick was saying. And there are, it's it's kind of a complicated, very scientific kind of thing to understand. But if you do a Google search for hyperfocal distance calculator, you'll have a few options. You can pull things up. I'm on one right now, and it's on dofmaster.com where you can actually put your camera, your focal length, the f-stop you're using, and the subject distance, and it'll calculate and tell you, you know, if you're focusing at this distance, then this amount of distance of the entire scene is going to stay in focus or whatever. It's, it gets very technical, but it's um, the, the, the simple way, as Rick mentioned, is if you focus about one-third into your scene, which is sometimes it can be kind of hard and tricky to kind of figure out, well, what's a third into my scene? You know, how, how deep is my actual image? Um, but it gives you a good foundation of where to start. Uh, you know, use live view if you're doing it from a tripod to get your image in scene, uh, your image in focus, uh, preview your shot afterwards and see where, uh, you know, what is in focus. Uh, don't crank the aperture all the way to the lowest setting, meaning like F22 or F32, stick somewhere on F11 or F16. If you calculate your depth of field and your hyperfocal distance properly, you will get the entire scene in focus. You know, so there are th- small things like that to consider. And it's, it takes a little bit of, I think, um, just kind of trial and error or just kind of getting used to it and understanding and learning your cameras and your lenses.
1: Yeah. Well, there's a, I mean, I think, Frederick, you, you hit on something and um, it's, it's worth bringing up because right now we're, it's, we're putting the onus on the photographer um, but, Frederick, you said something about the diopter. Yes. Uh, and, then, and then Rick mentioned about a fingerprint on the back of the lens. But there are, there, there are possibilities. We've all heard it or experienced it where you get a copy of a lens that's just not aligned properly um, or you, want, you need to do, uh, depending on your camera, like I know with our Canon, we can do micro adjustments with focus. And you could do, use things like lens Align, which is um, a product that we will sometimes have lens align parties at on one because we have one and it's basically this this target that you set up at a ve- it's very very precise you know if you're going to do it, you have to follow the the, the procedure but um, it allows you to do these micro adjustments um with your with each lens um, to get the, to ensure that it's properly uh, sharp uh, The other thing you can always do and i'm about to move through this i think nicole is too but and rick i don't know if uh, i assume you are but um uh just like getting the platinum cps membership um so that we can just send our lenses to canon for alignment for calibration um because I know, yeah, like when i had my twenty four seventy no matter what I did, it was just slightly soft, and so yeah. that 's where yeah, this I, think, came I up. think that
0: makes sense, yeah, definitely look, look to the hardware before you you think it 's technique, because you know i was I said it kind of tug and cheek about the diopter before, but i I knew someone, and no it wasn 't me that had. You know, they had a, it was an old Nikon that had a diopter adjustment. And for the folks that don't know what a diopter is, it's the lens piece there where you're actually looking through. And they have, a a lot of cameras allow you to adjust that to compensate for. So basically, you take your glasses off. So when you look through the camera, whatever correction was applied to your glasses is applied to your camera. So now you can use your camera and see things in focus and all that. Sometimes if you mess with that, Everything will look out of focus as you look through it, if, especially if you're doing manual focus. You look through the camera, and you focus it, and it looks sharp, but it's actually not sharp because the diopter is out of alignment. That so, happened to me? It happened to you? It
1: happened to everyone. Yeah. Except someone else I picked up someone else's camera, and
3: I was use
1: like, LiveU. what's wrong with this? <laughs> I use Live View almost exclusively um, because it's so much easier to focus using a, um, and to compose with a 3.3-inch screen as opposed to Yeah, a and then zoom in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah,
2: I like to go back to something, Frederick. You're a wild and crazy guy, right? I am. You know, i had never heard about these. Sound like really fun. These lens aligned parties. At, at <laughs> I on haven't one. been to one. Either. I mean, we have to be invited. Actually, uh, Nicole, are you in? Uh, are you in uh, Portland too?
3: Not yet, but I will be soon. Okay. And Brian, I you're plan in on Portland, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, we'll have a party. We'll have a line party. <laughs> well, I would listen, like to I- come to a line <laughs> <laughs> party. Is there? Are there music
2: and drinks and all that? <laughs> what, what, are you, what do we have it's to not- wear? <laughs> uh-huh. On-1 T-shirts?
1: No, oh, we can get one. We can get them. Okay. No, a good, <laughs> well, uh, good Hawaiian uh, tropical shirt and a good, good fun attitude and, and lots of vodka.
0: I love it. I have all that.
2: <laughs> I'm going to be in Portland on October 17th uh, for uh, Pro Photo Supply. You know oh, yeah, guys? sure, sure. Nice. So I'm giving a seminar at night, so maybe we could all get together before or after for the for the Alenzo Line party. You
1: should definitely come <laughs> into the office. I love it. Yeah,
2: I'm definitely going to give you a call, yeah. and we'll come by and say hi. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, guys,
0: Um, before we move on, I want to give a final nod to a new sponsor to This Week in Photo. Um, We're brought to you also by Shutterstock.com. They've got over 20 million stock photos, vector illustrations, and video clips. So if you're looking for images for your website, your blog, your print ad, your trade show, swag, apps, whatever... Shutterstock is the way to go. They've got over 10,000 new images added each day. And like I said, for a total right now of over 20 million images and assets that you can download. So it's a global image collection. So you can find images from across the world to suit whatever project you're working on. They've got image packs and monthly subscription packages. So you basically choose whatever you need to fit your particular needs. And if you just need one image, you can just Grab that one image You can download any image in any size And you pay one price for it So you don't have to you know, that's a, Some other services you, you pay for credits And all that you pay one price and you download Whatever image resolution you particu- you, you need For that particular uh, project That you're working on They've got light boxes like other services have All that stuff where you can As you go through and you're looking for that image that you want You can aggregate every, everything into a light box gallery And then sort of evaluate that and they've got a cool iPad app that I'm going to talk about a little bit later that uh, it's actually really, really cool. A bunch of stuff, a bunch of different things on there. You just got to go check it out. It's really, really awesome in terms of how they've got the site laid out and how they've laid out paying for images and and you know just sort of tailoring it to how we think as photographers. You can sign up for a free account. You don't need a credit card to sign up. When you find the images that you would like and you want to purchase them, use the offer code TWIP9. And get 30% off any package. It's 30% off using the code TWIP9. Again, Shutterstock.com with the code TWIP9. And thanks again to Shutterstock for sponsoring this episode of This Week in Photo. All right, guys. We are into the picks of the week, one of my favorite parts of the show. This is where you guys get to give your pick. And it can be anything as long as it is somehow related to photography. Brian? what is your pick of the week? Uh,
1: my pick is a, a new little device that I just got uh, a couple of days ago by a company called media sonic and it's a pro raid box. Um, so it's a, 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 four, a four, bay, uh, raid controller or raid enclosure. Um, and I got it because, um, I recently just got a new MacBook pro retina and, um, it has USB three. Oh, I'm so jealous. I am it, so it, jealous. It, Frederick, it is. It, it's a story how it, it, it was a very random thing, um, but thank you, On1. Um, <laughs> <and so, laughs> um, I wanted to, the Drobo I have is only USB 2.0 and FireWire, and the long and the short of it was I, I needed something that um, can get access uh, at a much quicker uh, bus speed. So this device, I got it off off new Newegg for like 180 bucks. It does RAID 0, 1, 5, 10, and I just put four 3-terabyte drives, and I have a nine terabyte volume at USB three speeds. Uh, it's fantastic. Wow!
0: And that's a Mediasonic Pro RAID USB, or no, is that what it's called? US the Pro RAID USB.
1: Yeah, it's USB uh, slash eSATA. Okay. Uh, or okay. enclosure. Very cool. All right. How much is that going to run on me? Uh, One hundred eighty bucks. Oh, nothing. No, it's it's compared to I'm and don't get me wrong, I'm not knocking Drobo, but compared to it, if you've got the hard drives. Oh, it's, it's it's a no-brainer.
0: All right. Well, we'll link to that. Definitely check that out. All right. Nicole Young, what is your pick of the week?
3: My pick is Really Right Stuff. Okay. Woo-hoo. It's just in general. <laughs> I just, love
0: that name of that company.
3: Yeah, I know. They're a company that they have a lot of tripods and ball heads and L brackets that you can connect to your camera. They make them specifically molded for specific camera types, which in my opinion, is probably their best product ever. They have the ball. If you get a ball head and L bracket combination, you are basically locking your camera in to the tripod head without worrying about it falling off. I think all of us have had those moments when, and I've even had this before, like a tripod fell, or the, the camera like fell off of my tripod head. Yeah. And I had like a cable, con- and this is not with the really right stuff. Here. This is a, with just a different, um, different tripod head. And I, it was like a miracle. I, it somehow, con- I still had the cable release in my hand, and it fell, and it was like a foot from hitting the ground, but it stopped. And I was like, oh, my God. And so I had a really close call. And, you know, you see people like slinging their tripods over their shoulder, holding their camera on the top, and that would scare me to death with the tripod heads that I had in the past. But with stuff, they have um, the L-bracket system. You've probably seen people use them. It's a little bit, you know, adds a little tiny bit of bulk to the outside of your camera. But it gives, if you use a tripod, it is so worth it. Um, their products are, I believe, Brian, I think you might know this better than I do. They're all, uh, wor- They're all uh, cre- what, is, what am I trying to say?
2: U.S. made
3: U.S. There we go. They don't <laughs> outsource to China. Everything's built in um, the U.S. Or, I don't know if it's in-house or if it's in the U.S., but it is
1: though everything is sourced in the u.s
3: i just I'm, I'm excited about them because i just bought my first tripod from them i've had um their tripod head in the l bracket for a while but i finally just bought a tripod so nice very
0: so cool I've- really right 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 stuff all right i love that name all right and mr rick salmon what is your pick of the week Well, I'll stick with my original
2: picture. Let's see, 500-gigabyte rugged uh, triple interface, you know, portable hard drive. It'll run you about 240 bucks. but these things have never let me down. Whenever I'm traveling, if I shoot during the day, I don't go to sleep until everything's downloaded, everything's backed up. And I've been using these for years. They come in a little uh, padded case, orange padded case,
1: and they work uh, really, really well, and they're fast.
0: Very cool. Yeah, you save, always you see
1: people with them. I mean, every time you travel, someone's got one of these really yep. the rugged hard drives.
4: Yep.
0: yep. Yeah. Yeah. They are kind of common. I don't, I haven't, we haven't had anybody from La Cie on this show. We need to do that, huh? Bring some storage folks on. All right. Uh, my pick of the week is um, I was playing around with the Shutterstock iPad app, and it's a free app. It's a free download that you don't even necessarily need to be a member of the service or buy any images from them. Um, And this is why I made it my pick of the week because it is cool for just discovery. You know, and we talk a lot about on the show about where do you find inspiration? And we say, okay, go to 500 Picks, you can go to Flickr, you can go, you know, all these different places and see all this amazing photography. There's a ton of amazing photography on Shutterstock, as it turns out, and you can look at it in this gorgeous iPad app that they put out that is really, really well designed. So I would definitely go check that out and uh, stick it on your iPad and kick back with a coffee and. You know, look at what some other of your peers are putting together and uploading. It'll might give you a kick in the pants to get out and start shooting. All right, guys, we are at the end of another episode of this week in photo. Brian, I'm going to give you the pleasure first and make sure I got your your last name right. I've been practicing this with the mute button on. <laughs>
1: Matias. yeah, look at that, <laughs> <laughs> Brian Matias, Where can people go to find out more about you? Um, you could just go to Brian com, Uh, and, uh, I spend most of my time on Google plus. So if you just go to plus com, it'll bring you over there to my profile.
0: Uh, like P L U S Brian.com. Yeah. Wow. Very cool. Hey, I know somebody else that did something like that. Nicole, did not you, <laughs> didn't, didn't you do that? Where'd you get that trick from Nicole?
3: <laughs> I thought of it first.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, Nicole, where can people go to find out more about you?
3: I'm um, on my blog, NicoleZBlog.com. It's N-I-C-O-L-E-S-Y. And you can find me on Google Plus. at uh, I think, Plus Nicole. Nicole Z Plus. Find some combination. You'll probably find it. Um, Pretty soon you're just
0: going to just say, just Google me. You know? Just, just, you go- me. I go- own Google. Just Google me.
3: <laughs> Google Nicole Z.
0: There you go. Nicole Z, you'll be at the top. Okay. And speaking of people that are omnipresent online, Mr. Rick Salmon, where would you like people to go to find out the stuff that you're working on?
2: I think ricksalmon.info is it, and I also want to thank you again for having me on the show. I think this is my fifth or sixth time on, and I would like to throw in, like, another one of my favorite sayings, and it's, you know, the sign of a true professional is making a hard job look easy, and, you know, we have a lot of fun doing this, and you're joking around or whatever, but I know you put a lot of work into, you know, all these show notes and prepping this and everything and keeping it rolling and making sure everyone gets their turn and whatever, so you do a great job. Thank you. Thank you.
0: I appreciate that. Yeah, it is. After after these shows, it's funny, I do have to go sit in my lazy boy with a with a nice Jack Daniels and kick back for a minute to get my brain back on earth. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but it's fun. I wouldn't give up doing these shows or anything. Yeah, you know, I love uh, I love doing these shows and connecting with you guys. It's uh, this is my weekly therapy. So <laughs> nice. So cool. All right. And to the Twip listeners, if you want to keep up with everything in the Twip universe, you can check us out at thisweekinphoto.com. Also, you can support the show by leaving us a comment on iTunes, and you can also, while you're on iTunes, check out our podcast app. It's a handy way to keep on top of our shows, especially the newest ones, and you can also go back and listen to our greatest hits, like if you want to go back and listen to the shows that Rick Salmon was on in the past, or Nicole and Brian now, that you're going to be on the show more and more, hopefully.
1: I would love to. I, I really appreciate it, and uh, anytime I can help be in the show count me in
0: oh you're in you're in you're in the family now I mean, nice you know
1: you're related to, to nicole so you're
0: automatically in the in the twip family so, nice no it's good to have you here thank you for coming and finally if you're looking for me frederick van johnson you can find me at frederickvan.com and with that it is time to take that lens cap off <laughs>